Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome back to another edition of the Heredity Podcast. This month, we'll be checking out telomere-length inheritance in king penguins, and discovering some curious population dynamics in a vulnerable island bird. I'm Jeff Marsh. Telomeres, the bits at the end of our chromosomes, have been a hot topic in genomics for the past few years, not least because of their apparent links with ageing and survival. Long telomeres seem to equate to a longer life. Evolutionary biologists, therefore, are interested in the heritability in telomere length and the links with life history trade-offs. A great deal of work has been done already in our species, but to test the generality of some of the lessons we learn from human studies, scientists are casting their nets a bit wider and testing other taxa. Sophie Reichert from the University of Strasbourg and her team decided to test the heritability of telomere length in a wild population of king penguins and assess the relative effects of the harsh environments these birds endure from a young age. Here's Sophie. So telomeres is basically the end of the eukaryotic chromosomes and they are involved in cell senescence and they are thought to be also involved basically in organisms' uh, lifespan. So it's an aging mechanism. So once these telomeres get to a certain length, the cells stop dividing and basically that's when you get cell senescence and cell death. That's correct. But the thing is, your telomere erosion is not only due to cell division, but it's also due to oxidative stress. And you also have some elongation factors, such as uh, telomerase activity, which can restore telomere length. So basically, you can see telomere length as sort of a balance between erosion factors and elongation factors. And so how established are the links between telomere length and life history traits? Well, research has been going on about that for, I would say, the past 10 years. And so, for instance, telomere lengths have been linked to the cost of reproduction. There has been some links also between growth rates and telomere erosion. And yeah, the most obvious link is the link between telomere length and individual lifespan. And so, for instance, uh, telomere length at one point has been linked to individual future survival and to individual lifespan. Obviously, as humans, we're always looking for, you know, life extension, cures, elixirs of life. So there's been a lot of work done on telomeres in humans, right? Well, there are a couple of studies showing that, for instance, in humans, your telomere length at one point kind of predicts your probability of survival in the next year. So there is one study showing that, which demonstrates that the shorter the telomere, the higher 
risk you have of not surviving in the years to come. Besides from that, there are also some studies showing that telomere length is also susceptible to psychological stress, but there are not that many studies in humans that consider the organism as a whole, but it's more like biomolecular study or cell studies. And in some of those human studies, it was suggested that telomere length was paternally inherited. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, so in humans, most studies have found that paternal telomere length was significantly correlated to offspring telomere length, whereas maternal telomere length was not. However, more recently, a couple of studies have shown using meta-analysis, so it gives you more power statistically. Offspring telomere length in certain cases was also significantly correlated to maternal telomere length. So we're kind of in a place where we still have to work and do research on these questions to really determine how these patterns can be a generality or or not. Okay, and, and you specifically are interested in the inheritance patterns of telomere length. Why is that important? Well, it's important from an evolutionary point of view because if a trait, so for instance, telomere length, is to have some importance for individual fitness and so to be involved in basically evolutionary processes, it has to be hereditary. And so for the past couple of years, the question is, could telomere length have a role in evolutionary trade-offs? The first question we wanted to ask is then, is it hereditary and what are the patterns of inheritance? Okay, and we've seen some work on the inheritance patterns in, in humans. You and your team were looking at penguins. Why was that? Okay, so that's a fair question. <laughs> Okay, so first of all, the pattern of telomere length inheritance in birds has only been studied in one paper in the Kakapo. And so if you want to check a pattern, you have to check it in several species. So the idea was to check for this inheritance pattern of telomere length in other bird species. And why specifically penguins? Well, it's a species that have been studied quite widely in the lab because it's a bio-indicator of conservation and climate change. And also, my study was kind of the continuity of a previous study conducted also in penguins showing that adverse environmental conditions experienced during growth would accelerate telomere erosion in chick and penguins. And so we wanted to distinguish the importance of telomere length that was inherited versus the erosion that could happen because of adverse environmental conditions. Okay, so you're using samples then from a wild population of king penguins. What did you find about the inheritance patterns of telomere length in these penguins? Okay, so what we found was that chick telomere length at an early time during growth, so basically at 10 days old, was significantly correlated to maternal telomere length, but not to paternal telomere length. However, this link disappeared over the growth of the chick. 
So, I mean, why does that correlation break down? Is that just because the first winters that the penguins have to suffer just just batters their telomeres? Well, that's one possibility. I mean, these birds are under really harsh environmental conditions. You have high mortality over the winter. And so the fact that we found a link at 10 days is maybe also because at 10 days, you don't have selective mortality that has acted on your population. Whereas later, because of this harsh winter, you would have this selective mortality, which might explain why the link also disappears over time. Okay, and another intriguing thing that is that since telomere length seems to be maternally inherited in these birds, and in humans it seems to be paternally inherited, it might suggest that telomere length is something to do with the heterogametic sex. Well, from the results we get, that would be the most obvious idea. However, because of the recent studies in humans suggesting also maternal inheritance of telomere length, even though it's a couple of studies, I mean, the results are still there and you have to take them into account. I think we have maybe to be careful with this uh, heterogametic hypothesis and that further research is necessary to really understand the mechanistic basis of these inheritance patterns. That was Sophie Reichert from the University of Strasbourg. The forest thrush is an insect-feeding forest understory bird endemic to the Lesser Antilles in the Caribbean Sea. It's distributed between four small oceanic islands, each of which is considered to host a different subspecies but this assumption is largely based on unquantitative observations of their plumage patterns. Given that this species has declined over the last 15 years and is now classified as vulnerable according to the IUCN Red List, conservationists are keen to understand more about these populations' genetics. Stéphane Garnier from the University of Burgundy and his team set out to assess their population structure in order to guide conservation efforts. But in the process, they discovered an intriguing pattern of differentiation at a very small scale. Here's Stefan. The first motivation was to gather information about this species' ecology and evolution in order to provide guidelines for its conservation because conservation status depends on the island. And the other reason to study population structure in this species and other species is that I'm working on the consequences of forest fragmentation on bird populations in the Caribbean region. And I'm trying to see how landscape structure affects population size and migration between forest patches. Generally then, what factors are thought to affect a species population structure? Genetic drift and natural selection. If we consider divergent selection in heterogeneous habitats, uh, or promoting differentiation between populations. And genetic drift is linked to population size, mainly. And on the other hand, gene flow is the main evolutionary force opposing population differentiation. And the evolution of divergence results from the balance between these three evolutionary forces and their relative intensities in space and time. How does the spatial scale of a population affect the likelihood of its differentiation? First, there is a positive correlation between speciation, probability, and area. 
this is partly because in larger areas there are more opportunities for geographical isolation and more habitat types making possible ecological speciation. And second, in a given area, the probability of in-situ speciation is higher for species with shorter dispersal distances because these species are able to initiate differentiation at smaller spatial scale. So, as a consequence, differentiation between populations is expected at fairly large scale for highly mobile taxa, such as birds or bats, because they can fly. However, there is growing evidence that dispersal ability may be a poor predictor of gene flow. Very low levels of gene flow have been observed in mobile organisms, even at small scale, because of what we call behavioral barriers. For instance, forest specialist birds avoid crossing open habitats, even over short distances, and they also avoid forest hedges. So our view of the special scale at which divergence can be initiated in birds has recently been challenged. It means, for instance, that consequences of habitat fragmentations on alien populations may have been underestimated, especially in tropical forests. You're saying that finding radiations of birds within an island is rare. Yeah, it is, but it depends on the island area. It's widely accepted that within island speciation in birds occurs only in large islands. Uh, there is almost no example of intra-island bird speciation occurring on islands smaller than Madagascar, which is about 600,000 square kilometers wide. Uh, in fact, there are a few cases in smaller islands but they are still uh, debated. And above this threshold, the rate of speciation increases with island size. So your first aim then was to assess the supposition that there were these four different subspecies on the four different islands. First of all, was that true? So we observed uh, morphological and genetic differentiation between islands in the forest stretch, and the differentiation that we observed between islands is consistent with many examples of uh, divergence in birds in archipelagos. Distance between islands are not that large. They are about 40 to 50 or 60 kilometers. However, several studies have shown that water can be a strong barrier to dispersal in birds, even over very short distances. So the existence of this divergence is not uh, very surprising. The interesting point, maybe, is the level of genetic differentiation between islands, uh, which is quite high. And these levels of genetic divergence are similar or even higher than levels reported between other bird subspecies. So each island is really hosting a distinct entity. Whether these entities have to be classified as subspecies is another question. And your results also looked at the differentiation between two groups on the island of Guadeloupe. Yeah, so the most striking result of our study is the strong genetic differentiation between the two parts of Guadeloupe, that is Grand Terre and Bastère. We observed SST values from 7 to 15 percent for geographical distance as short as 12 kilometers. So the existence of a genetic differentiation and more importantly this high level of divergence are unexpected given the small area of Guadeloupe which is about 1,400 square kilometers. So several hypotheses can be proposed to explain this genetic differentiation. 
first, uh, the pattern observed in Guadeloupe could be the result of uh, secondary contact between entities differentiated in Halopatry. However, our mitochondrial DNA sequences do not support this hypothesis because they did not reveal distant lineages in ground pair and in Balter. Second, this divergence could have been initiated in situ. Guadeloupe is made of two geographic zones connected by a narrow isthmus covered by a large urbanized area. Uh, this isthmus is four to five kilometers long and only a few meters above sea level. So although the forest rush has the slight ability to cross this isthmus, this urbanized area may be an unsuitable habitat for this species and it may represent a behavioral barrier for these persons. So this is the current picture but we do not know exactly what factor initiated the divergence between Grand Terre and Bastard. And, and how will these findings affect our capacity for population management and conservation planning? So we usually have to determine priorities because resources are never sufficient to preserve a species as a whole. So often we have to choose which population to preserve as a priority. One of the most commonly used is the maximum genetic diversity because the population having the highest diversity is the one having the highest evolutionary potential. So following this criteria for the forest rush, we would give priority to populations in Bastar. Of course, other criteria can be used. Another one is the uniqueness of a population or clade. And in this regard, populations from Dominica deserve a special attention because they are the most differentiated ones. Another example of the usefulness of our results, the two gene pools hosted in Guadeloupe have probably been isolated for a long time. Therefore, two management units could be considered in Guadeloupe instead of a single one. As this species is still hunted in Guadeloupe, if one management unit is overhunted, it's unlikely to recover by immigration from the other one. And uh, in addition, these two geographical zones uh, of Guadeloupe correspond to quite different environments, and it could be that the forest trash is locally adapted. So the genetic differentiation observed within Guadeloupe should make us very cautious about the possibility to transfer individuals from Bastère to Grand Terre to reinforce local populations, for instance. And that's it for this month. Join us again next time for another episode of the Heredity Podcast. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.